The Tennis Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gam Podcast and are presented by the SGPN Free Roll Football Contest. Join our free season-long pick'em for a chance to win $3,000 and a Super Bowl autographed SGP helmet. Sign up at sportsgampodcast.com slash contest. We're also brought to you by Game Time. Snag the tickets without the stress. Use promo code SGPN on your first purchase to save $20. Download the Game Time app and use promo code SGPN. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. You play the underdog pick'em in college or NFL at one up to 20 times your money in one game. Use promo code SGPN at Underdog Fantasy for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. We're also brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code SGP. New customers can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 in any NFL game, only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code SGP. Finally, we're brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting research platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit HOF bets.com use code sgpn to get 50 percent off your first month and start making smarter bets today and welcome everybody to the tennis gambling podcast here on the sports cam podcast and is currently early saturday morning september 9th remember host is always scott rochelle once again going solo for this pod should be a fun episode because it is, it is time to switch gears a bit we're going to talk about the women's tournament going to look at the women's final between Goff and sabalenka should be fun sabalenka is going for her second grand slam title of the year while Goff is still going for her maiden grand slam title in front of the home crowd so it should be fun and we'll get into that preview in a few minutes but before we get into any of that, I do want to recap our picks from the last episode, which was based on the men's semifinal matches, which took place on Friday. Now, before we get into any of the actual pick recap, do want to have one brief disclaimer. I will not be recapping the semifinal matches. I'm going to save that for the men's final preview, which is going to take place either Saturday night or Sunday morning. Simply put, I do think that it flows better with me recapping the path of both Medvedev and Djokovic right before previewing that match. And I feel like if I state the takeaways and the recap in this episode, I'm just going to repeat everything in the next episode, and it's going to sound a bit redundant. So because of that, I'm going to skip the recap and the takeaways from the men's semifinal matches until we talk about that in the men's final episode. For the women's final episode, though, only going to recap the picks, and I'll throw in a rant or a brief I'd say, statement or two about what happened in those two matches. But for the sake of the picks, did well. Gave it a bonus pick as well. We ended up having a lock, dog, and prop for the show. For the lock, ended up having Djokovic team total under 19.5 games at minus 140. I ended up giving out a prediction for the exact score. I got the sets wrong with the games, but I was really, really close. So in any order, I had 7-6, 6-3, 6-3, and the exact score line was 7-6-6-3-6-2. I was very, very close. Either way, Djokovic did end up landing 19 as he got there for the prop. We ended up having a nice winner as well. Had Djokovic under 8.5 aces of minus 115. That was an insane line. If we did not do a prop, that would have been my lock because I thought 8.5 was crazy. Djokovic has a pretty solid first serve. I wouldn't say it's great at generating aces. And his second serve... He's really not built to get aces. Djokovic's second serve is a rally starter, 
Simply put, so as long as Djokovic's first serve percentage was not insanely high, I really liked our chances to go under this number because Shelton, despite not being a good returner, is still six foot four, still has a lot of wingspan, and I figured he'd get a racket on a lot of these serves, and he did. Now, did he return well? Not at all. Once again, I'll get into that in the next episode. But even when Shelton was struggling with returning, he never struggled to get a racket on the ball, and that's all we needed as Djokovic finished with five. So a nice winner for the lock and prop plays. However, did lose the dog, had Alcaraz to win in straight sets at plus 180, wasn't close as Medvedev actually won the first set and the match in that one in a pretty surprising upset. But I'll once again recap that upset in the next episode. For the sake of the dog, though, I really didn't like many dogs on the card. I did not think Medvedev was going to win. So I really did not have much to work with, but I thought Alcaraz would take care of business like he did in the past this year against Medvedev. He did not. And as a result, we have a Djokovic and Medvedev final. But anyway, once again, two in one episode, we hit the lock, hit the prop. Nice overall results. We look for another winning day here in the women's final and look for a sweep, hopefully. Before we get into any of that, do want to briefly touch upon a Newsworthy topic, kind of, which was going around Twitter, and it actually involved that Djokovic and Shelton match. I want to talk about the post-match celebration that Djokovic had against Shelton. Now, you might remember Shelton, after beating Tiafo, did a phone celebration where he picked up a phone and proceeded to hang it up. Now, I have a couple of reasons why that celebration bothered me. I'll mention that in a second. The point is Djokovic ended up beating Shelton and proceeded to do the exact same celebration. He copied the phone celebration, hung up the phone right after beating Shelton, and people were really annoyed about it on Twitter. Now, the reason why the Shelton celebration bothered me had nothing to do with sportsmanship and had nothing to do with, you know, acting like you've been there before. It was because I don't know who uses actual phones anymore. Everything is cell phone based where you can just hang up with the press of a button. Who is landlines anymore? Well, you're picking up a phone and you're hanging it up on the who who does that anymore? Do people actually use that? I don't I don't think I have a house phone. My mom doesn't. My dad doesn't. I don't think anybody really uses house phones anymore. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just thought it was a little bit outdated because nobody uses phones that you can actually physically slam anymore. But anyway, that was the reason why it was it bothered me. It was logistical. It had nothing to do with the actual message or tone of Shelton celebration. However, Djokovic did the exact same thing. And people were really bothered by it. And they thought, Djokovic, just beat this 20-year-old kid. You're the best of all time. What are you doing? It's rude, and it's distasteful. And my argument is, if you are against Djokovic doing it, then you should be against Shelton doing it to Tiafo. At least be consistent. I think, once again, since I had no issue with the actual celebration that Shelton had from a from just an overall context perspective... I had no issue with what Djokovic did. Was it overkill? Yes. Do I care? Not really. If you really don't want Djokovic to do the celebration, maybe you shouldn't let Djokovic beat you in straight sets. That's kind of my takeaway there. Djokovic would not be doing the celebration if Shelton was able to actually make it a better match. Now, Shelton was able to make it interesting 
in the third set, which might be why Djokovic also did the celebration. It was because the crowd was constantly cheering every fault that Djokovic made in the third set because they were praying that Shelton won the third set to make the match more interesting. But I think Djokovic was kind of fed up with the crowd, and I think he was also just a little bit frustrated with how everything played out at the end. He tried to serve it out twice, didn't work out, and then he wanted a breaker. I think, once again, maybe let his emotions get the better of him, but I really don't care. He won. You can do whatever you want when you win. And Shelton acknowledged that post-match. I thought that he had a very good press conference, Shelton, where he basically acknowledged if, you know, if he wants to do it, then that's fine. He won. You can do whatever you want when you win. And I agree. I thought it was a mature answer from Shelton. And once again, I don't care about the post-match celebration you do. means nothing to me. But people were bothered by it. I think a lot of people who are bothered by it don't like Djokovic anyway, and they wanted to use it as an example showing that he'll never be as likable as Federer and Nadal, and that's why he'll never be an... Who cares? I don't think it matters. Djokovic is the better player than Federer and Nadal. Deal with it. If you don't like him, that's fine. I'm talking about results. But that was my main takeaway. The main thing I wanted to talk about was the celebration and how people really just get so annoyed at the smallest things that really don't matter. And the celebration really didn't matter. But I want to mention that because it bothered some people. It did not bother me. Once again, if you don't want them to do it, maybe you should beat them. But anyway, now it's time to get into the actual preview for the women's final between Goff and Sabalenka. To start off with the odds here, Sabalenka is a slight favorite of around minus 120 or minus 130, depending on where you shop. So Sabalenka is the slight favorite, Goff plus 110 the other way, or even money. Sabalenka minus one and a half games is plus 105. Goff plus one and a half games is minus 125. Over-under is 22. Over is minus 115. Under is minus 105. If you want some alt lines, you can get each player minus half a game at basically minus 120 or minus 130. If you want the match to go to three sets, you can get that at plus 120. Match to end in straight sets is a minus 150, regardless of who wins. And for the actual set spread, Goff minus one and a half sets is a plus 240. Uh, Sabalenka minus one and a half sets is plus 200. So they are expecting a very even battle, and I kind of have to agree. Now, for the sake of the head-to-head, Goff is currently 3-2 and two in the head-to-head. However, one match was on clay, which Goff won. I'm tossing it out. It's a hardcore match. The clay doesn't mean anything. So I'm going to toss out the Rome meeting in 2021. So it is tied 2-2 in the hardcore. They faced off one time this year in Indian Wells, and Sabalenka buried her back in March, won 6-4-6-0. They faced off in Toronto in 2022, and Goff did win, was an absolute war, though, 7-5-4-6-7-6. They faced off in Ostrava in 2020. Sabalenka won with a scoreline of 1-6-7-5-7-6, and they faced off in Lexington about a month or two prior in 2020. Goff did win 7 6 4 6 Now, the question is, even though it is tied 2-2 in the head-to-head on hard court, does it really matter what happened in 2020? Because both players are nowhere near as good as they were back then. And the argument is, maybe, because stylistically, they are still close, as we saw in 2022, because they went three sets. However, Sabalenka became the number one player in the world, or she's about to, because she's going to be win or lose after the U.S. Open concludes. Goff has become a serious powerhouse, 
ever since Brad Gilbert took over as her coach. And to go through her recent results for Goff, she's been really, really good because she was able to win the City Open. Then she ended up losing in Montreal, which is fine. Lost to Pagula in three sets in the quarters. Then she was able to win in Cincinnati as she beat Mukova and Swiatek in the same tournament. And she parlayed that into the U.S. Open final appearance. So once again, Goff has won Two hardcore tournaments lately, two big ones, the City Open as well as the Western and Southern Open, and now she's in the U.S. Open final. So she's in great form, best best tennis she's probably ever played. As for Sabalenka, she's been good for the most part. She's really done well in the U.S. Open. She was struggling early on uh, in the hardcore season, did not play... Uh, after Wimbledon until Montreal, which she lost in the second match to Sam Sanova, but she did end up playing in the Western and Southern Open, ended up making it to the semis and lost to Mukova, and then she ended up making it to the U.S. Open final here. Before the semis, she did not drop a set, so she was in great form, then had an absolute war where she got bageled in the first set against Keys and came back and won 0-6, 7-6, 7-6, an all-time great scoreline, uh, looking, at it, looking at it on paper. Now, for the sake of this overall matchup, I think it's pretty simple in terms of game plan for both players. Sabalenka wants to shorten the points, and she wants to let her forehand rip. She wants to dominate, she wants to force Goff side to side, and she wants to be in full control of the rallies. Now, Goff, on the other hand... I'm not saying he's going to try to take control of the rallies, but she's been a lot better under Brad Gilbert of limiting the mistakes. And I think she's going to try to hang around and wait for Sabalenka's forehand or backhand a short circuit. And so far in this event, it has been pretty effective. We saw it in in the semis, for example. Mukova hit a bunch of unforced errors on the backhand side, and that definitely resulted in a strategy for Goff, which paid off as she ended up winning 6-4, 7-5. Did it against Ostapenko. Ostapenko, we know, is one of the most, i say, volatile players in the entire WTA. We saw the bright side against Swiatek, where she dominated. We saw her, uh, Ostapenko hit 80 unforced errors in a three-set match earlier in the U.S. Open, which he obviously won, and Ostapenko couldn't hit the ball in play. So Goff is going to pretty much let Sabalenka get the opportunities that she wants. The question is, can Sabalenka keep the ball in play while also being aggressive in route to a win? And that is where I'm skeptical, because I do think that even though Sabalenka's been good, she really should have lost to Madison Keys in the semifinal. And the only thing that saved her is Keyes being a very underrated choker throughout her entire career. It's why Keyes has never won a Grand Slam title. It's because in a lot of these big matches, she falls apart, and she did. Keyes, to go through the actual scoreline, was up 6-0 and a break, and she blew it. She was up 5-3, serving for the match at some point, and she got broken to lose. Then she was up a break again in the third set, and she lost. So she had a bagel with a break lead in the second set and the third set, and she lost. Now, of course, it takes two to tango. I'm not saying that Keyes handed the match over on a platter and Sabalenka did nothing to deserve it. Sabalenka played well, but she probably should have lost. And Keyes falling apart down the stretch was nothing new. It was expected, at least in my opinion, and it was a bit heartbreaking because that might have been Key's best chance to win a major after losing to Sloan Stevens in the U.S. Open final a couple years ago. But the point is, Sabalenka was good, but she was vulnerable, and she definitely looked more vulnerable than Goff had 
at any point in this event. Goff did go to three sets on three separate occasions. She lost the first set to Sigmund in the first round, lost the first set to Mertens in the third round. But both times, she was able to win the final two sets easily, and she was able to get back on track quickly. So once again, stylistically, it's a pretty even matchup because you might assume Sabalenka and Goff will have moments in this match where the unforced error counts high for Sabalenka and Goff can excel or Sabalenka hits her spots and suddenly you have a war on your hands. I can really see it balancing out. I think you will see a very competitive, potentially a three-set match here. But I do think looking at these odds, if I am expecting a coin flip and if it is tied 2-2 in the head-to-head, I do know Ostapenko won on hardcore earlier this year in March. That was before Gilbert got there. So I don't want to say that I'm tossing it totally in the garbage, but I do think Goff is a completely different player, a reinvented player, so to speak, since that March defeat because of the coach that she has now and the fact that she has kind of fine-tuned her game, which has resulted in a very impressive run to the final while only dropping a handful of sets. Now, I think because of that, I am going to lean to Goff plus the 110. I think 110 is a good price for a coin flip. People are going to blindly take Sabalenka. I get it. She's about to be number one. She showed a lot of resolve in the semifinal match against Keys. Having said that, I have seen Sabalenka fall apart in a lot of big matches so far this year. And she won the Australian Open. It was a war. Ended up beating Rabakina. However, I wanted to at least mention some of the massive choke jobs that she had throughout the course of the year. You might remember in the French Open semis, she was up by a lot against Mukova and completely fell apart. So that's a bit concerning there. She also was up against Jabour, fell apart in the Wimbledon match there. So she has had a couple of stumbles in matches she was winning in Grand Slam events, big Grand Slam events, and she fell short. And I forgot the exact stat with the Mukova match, but she lost like 17 of the last 21. It was something insane to to close out the match. It was an insane choke job. But the point is, I do have to point out, Sabalenka, even though she showed a lot of mental toughness, she has blinked on several occasions in big matches this year. Now, the counterpoint is, so is Goff. Goff's never won anything. Why would this be any different? And I understand that. But I do think the crowd support will heavily favor Goff because she's American and this is going to be her first uh, potential Grand Slam title not even to mention the fact that Sabalenka's Belarusian, they still don't show her flag during some of the events because of the Russian-Ukraine thing. So maybe people won't root for her anyway. But I'm assuming in Arthur Ashe, Goff will probably have 90% of crowd support, maybe 80% of a floor. That's a lot of crowd support. Now, Sabalenka overcame it in the semi against Madison Keys. But Goff, I think, is going to be able to use the energy of the crowd, and I am going to pick her to win. Is it going to be easy? No, but I do think it's more of a 50-50 match than people think it is, and because of that, I am going to lean to Goff at plus 110. Now, for the sake of the actual total, I will lean to the over. I think you'll probably see three sets. I do wonder if fatigue's going to play a factor. I doubt it because there was a day off in between the semifinal and the final, but Goff had a weird straight set win where there was a 48-minute delay because of a climate change protester. So that was kind of a weird spot to take a break and then resume. But Sabalenka had a three-set war, which took around two and a half hours. So I do wonder if there will be a bit of fatigue there. 
But I have to at least point out that Sabalenka probably should have lost. And because of that, I do think she is more vulnerable than oddsmakers expect. Because at this stage in their careers, I do think that Goff is the better player than Keys. So for the sake of this match, I am going to lean to Goff and I am going to lean to the over in this one. I'm going to mention some props as well, because I do have a prop market. I have aces, breaks of serve, and double faults. As for breaks of serve, I only have combined. Uh, actually, no, I do have uh, individual as well. Uh, let me pull that up quickly. So for the breaks of serve, you have six and a half total at minus 138 to the over. The under is even money. Goff to break four times or more is minus 120. Uh, it's minus 120 in the under as well. Sabalenka to break four times or more is minus 138 and the under is even money. For the sake of this market, I would lean to Goff over with the three and a half break. She's been very good at returning so far in this event, and Keys did have a lot of success breaking Sabalenka early in that match. To go through the actual numbers here for Sabalenka with her uh, serving and the actual break numbers that she allowed in the semifinal matchup against Keys. Keys did break her six times, had 11 break points, so I want to mention that. Zhang didn't really do anything returning-wise. Kasatkina, uh, though, got buried, lost 6-1-6-3, and yet she did win three break points. So even in a very small number of games, Kasatkina did return well against Sabalenka, and I do think, once again, you can find Goff having some success returning in this one. But for the most part, she's been serving pretty decently. Goff's returning, though has been impressive. Goff broke Mukova five times, broke Ostapenko six times, broke Wozniacki five times, broke Mertans six times, broke Andriva four times, and broke Sigmund five times. So she's gone over this number in every match so far into the U.S. Open. And she also ended up breaking Mukova five times, if you want to include the final in Cincinnati. So she has been on a bit of a break streak recently, and I do think, once again, I know Sabalenka serves very fast. The second serve, though, is still vulnerable, and I do think that Goff can create some quality returns, and that might result in some breaks. I'm going to lean to Goff over the three and a half. Even if you think Sabalenka wins, I do think that her serve can be vulnerable at times. So can Goff, so you might see a breakfast breakout. But the U.S. Open courts have been slow. You have seen a lot of breaks, and I do think that Sabalenka's serve is, I don't want to say overrated, but more vulnerable than what you might have expected entering this tournament. So give me Goff over three and a half breaks as my main lean in that prop market. Now for the actual aces and double faults, my main play here will be Goff under four and a half double faults. One thing that Brad Gilbert has done a good job at, it hasn't applied every time, but for most of these matches, she has done a better job of limiting the mistakes on the serve. Goff only faulted two times against Mukova, four times against Ostapenko, which is not great. Four times against uh, Wozniacki, that did go three sets. Six times against Mertens, uh, ended up double faulting two times against Andriva, and ended up double faulting three times against Sigmund. So once again, she has been doing a good job for the most part of serving and avoiding double faults. Also, some of those matches uh, were, I don't remember how many of them were with the roof open or closed. I'm also not sure what the uh, roof situation is going to be for the women's final. But the point is, there might not be that much of external factors weather-wise because the, the roof might be closed. So keep that in mind. But she's been serving better. I do think four and a half under is worth a look for Goff at minus 130. That's basically going to wrap it up, though, for this market. Once again, 
Not exactly a lot to break down besides this match because it's the only thing we're talking about. But we'll get into my favorite plays on the match in a second. Before we get into the Lock and Dog picks, though, do you want to take a quick word from our sponsor? We're brought to you by the SGP Free Roll Football Contest. Have you signed up yet for our free season-long NFL Pick'em Contest? If not, you should. $1,000 for first place, $500 for second place. But if you are a Patreon member for the NFL season, your prizes double the $2,000 and $1,000 respectively. Plus, if a Patreon member wins the Free Roll Football Contest, they'll also get an autographed full-size Sports Game Podcast helmet, which includes guests like Joe Theismann, Bill Romanowski, Pac-Man Jones, John Sally, Eric Metcalf, and LeGarrette Blunt. Sign up link is at sportscampodcast.com slash contest, sportscampodcast.com slash Patreon to get in on the chance to win double the prizes and win the weekly Patreon pickums. Can you believe we've had seven months without an NFL game? Crazy, right? Well, the good thing is the wait is over. The NFL is here in DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving you a can't-miss offer for week one. This week, new customers get $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 on any NFL game. DraftKings hooking everyone up with game day greatness. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every single game day this September. Check the app to see what you get. For me, I think week one, I'm going to go back once again to the Commanders and go with them in the first half, minus three and a half. Well, you know what the uh, the Cardinals have been doing recently? They traded away their uh, first-round pick on defense a couple of years ago with Isaiah Simmons. They also ended up cutting Colt McCoy. They just traded for Dobbs, who has not played a single snap for the team in preseason or the regular season. And I do think the Commanders, with a sellout crowd at home with Howell, showed some promise in preseason. Three and a half does feel a little bit short in the first half. I think Washington gets out to an early lead, and it leads by at least seven at the break. Download now, though, and use code SGP to sign up. New customers can take home $200 in bonus bets instantly just for betting $5. That's code SGP. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. We're also brought to you by Game Time. I don't know about all of you, but I was always stressed out trying to buy tickets to my favorite team sporting events, and now that's no longer an issue because Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all these sports, music, comedy, and theaters near you. Personally, I'm going to end up using it probably in week one to go to the Jets-Bills game on Monday Night Football, which should be a lot of fun. But they have a lot of great features on the app, including images of seat views, which is my favorite feature. In the past, with other platforms, you might buy a ticket and you don't exactly know what the exact view is going to be. So you try to guess what you think it's going to be, and it turns out you have an obstruction directly in front of you, and you just paid money for tickets that you are basically worthless because you can't see the actual action you paid for. But that's not an issue with this feature because now with the images of seat views, game time will show you what the exact view is so you'll get a perfect view of the action. But game time is also the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theaters, and more. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Sign the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code SGPN for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account or redeem code SGPN for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, Guaranteed. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger by betting smarter this NFL season with Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting a- analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every NFL, NBA, MLB, and soccer bet 
with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea into Hall of Fame Bet's revolutionary parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value. Stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame bet app or visit hofbets.com and use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month today. Start Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame bets. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy has a way to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their fantasy pick'em game. You pick between two and five players, select whether they go higher or lower on any of their stats. Then you do what you always do on Sunday, which is watch all the games, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game, but you can win real money. So watch along, make your picks, and maybe make a little money over at Underdog's mobile app or website, underdogfantasy.com. And remember, when you sign up, Use the promo code SGPN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code SGPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished uh, previewing the women's final in the US Open between Goff and Sabalenka. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks. For the lock on the show, it's going to be risky, but I am going to go for it. I am going to go with Goff over three and a half breaks of serve at minus 120 on bet 365. Simply put, I do think Goff's return game has been very consistent for this event. She's gone over this number in every match of the tournament so far, as well as the final in the Western and Southern Open. And to go through the head-to-head meetings recently, uh, Goff did not do well in the last meeting, but she has had moments in the previous hardcore matches against Sabalenka serve. She broke a total of four times in the National Bank Open, had 12 breakpoint chances in Ostrava. She ended up having eight breakpoint chances, broke five times. And in Lexington, she did break seven times with 12, with 12 chances. I know that was a while ago, but the point is Goff has done a pretty good job for the most part of returning Sabalenka serve. Though the Indian Wells one's very tough to fully analyze because it was the most recent one, but it was also the most lopsided one. And I do think Goff's a completely different player with Brad Gilbert now in charge. But Sabalenka did struggle with the serve early on against Keys. I do think that Goff and her consistency to get the ball in play and force her opponents into making tough shots and daring them to avoid hitting unforced errors does have some benefits. And I do think, once again, you're looking at Sabalenka, who has been solid for the most part, but I can see her being streaky. I can also see this match going long. If it does go three sets, you have extra service games to work with. But I will go with Goff over three and a half breaks as my lock. I think she is going to return well in this match. And for my dog, I am going to go with Goff Moneyline at plus 110. Simply put, I just think that Goff has really just shown signs of growth as a player. I think that it's a coin flip match. Sabalenka should have lost in the semis. And I do think Goff has this newfound confidence under her coach, which should propel her to a nice win. But once again, I think that this match is pretty tricky. If you want to take the over, I don't mind that either. But the concern I have there is there have been a decent amount of blowout sets so far in this tournament. But I do think that Sabalenka can get off to a slow start. Goff has really done a great job of limiting mistakes, playing some smart tennis, and using the crowd to keep her energized throughout the matches. I do think the crowd support will be a big deal for Goff, who's trying to get over the hump for the first time by winning her mating Grand Slam title. I'm going to go with Goff on the money line as my dog at plus 110. That's going to wrap it up. 
for this episode. Find me on a bunch of other podcasts with the network. Find me on the NBA show, the MLB show, the NFL show, the WNBA show. You get the point. Find me on Twitter as well at Rice Show Radio. We're back once again for the men's final at some point, either Saturday night or Sunday morning. Until next time, though, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.